the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and producer. And I'm Marie McCain, director, producer. And this episode is sponsored by Screencraft. More of which, very soon. This episode is with the fantastic Sarah Gavron. Now, not only has she directed amazing movies such as Brick Lane, A Village at the End of the World, Suffragette, but she's also directed a brand new movie called Rocks, which is out on Friday, September the 18th. And she, the wonderful lady, is on our podcast in your ear holes, just for you, (laughs) talking about... How to make movies. First of all, though, Robbie, how are you, buddy? You're right. I'm not too bad, Giles. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Good, good, because everyone wants to know. Um, <laughs> that's what they tune into this podcast for. How's Robbie? Oh, he's okay. Yeah, How's Giles? 100% okay? of the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if we just went, nah, do you know what? I'm feeling a bit shit. <laughs> feeling down. And do you know what? It would be fair enough. It was World Mental Health Week and it was Men's Mental Health Day as well. And it's so important that we all look out for each other and. Um, try and support each other in any way we can because we're all filmmakers and we all find it very difficult well most of us who listen to this are filmmakers if not you're a film fan and you understand that it's very difficult especially during lockdown so we're here for you is what I'm saying I'm here for you Robbie thank you Giles that's very comforting good is it (laughs) is it really like a warm blanket. Or you could go get me some milk from up the shops, maybe. Yeah. Some um, <laughs> wait, vegan milk? Is it organic? What oat we milk. Here? We'll go for oat milk. Oat milk, oat, yeah. oat milk. And we'll warm it up on a nice temperature. <laughs> and I'll tuck you in in bed and I'll serve it with some vegan cocoa. Yeah? Oh, it's getting a bit creepy now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Today, we're not here to talk about myself and Robbie's weird habits. We're here to talk about the episode with Sarah Gavron. It's amazing. She's so cool. Robbie, what did you take away from this? What are the listeners, the wonderful people out there listening, who are probably skipping this bit now, uh, what are they going to take away from this episode? <laughs> yeah, Sarah was really awesome. She was talking about filming her new movie, Rocks, which is uh, she's working with mostly uh, younger, like non-actors, and she was really trying to get a sort of authentic... Uh, look for for making a film about young people today and her talking about all the different methods she used to do that like from working with a predominantly female crew to working in a slightly informal more documentary style like, it was really awesome yeah she was talking about prep how she researches what visual ideas she she has whether that's from photography or from paintings or sketches you know it's really really fascinating yeah, those different examples of inspiration that can come from really unexpected places. That's what she was talking about. And also she was talking about directors that she admires and you know how she uh, takes inspiration from them, which was really awesome. Really awesome. And what I find is even more awesome. More awesomeness. Have more awesomeness. Which is Be a word. Be more awesome. It's 100% <laughs> a word. Um, was that when she was talking about Suffragette, she talked about working with fantastic screenwriter Abby Morgan. But more than that, she talked about what it was like working and directing the legend that is Meryl Streep. You are going to find out all about that. So, so cool. Sir Giles, the countdown continues. The Dare is out in two weeks on the 5th of October. How excited are you? Oh my god! It's the movie that started this podcast. It absolutely is, and it's out in the UK in two weeks' time. This is where the world ends. Uh, this is where it all stops, and I just go, I don't need to do this anymore. I've succeeded in my mission <laughs> of these last three years, delivering this podcast for you. And finally, the movie I started talking about when I started this is out in two weeks. Thank you, Robbie, for bringing it up. I'm surprised. I, I, you know, I didn't ask you to bring it up. It's so uh, in nice. In no way was I pressured to bring this up. No. To bring it up in your own way but serious i'm 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 excited to see it you know it's the it, it's like the saw film for a new generation it's got richard brake in it and mm. i'm excited because i haven't actually seen this yet so it's going to be it's going to be good 
You haven't. I'm not able to have a premiere though because of COVID six people in a room rules,、uh, which is obviously massively disappointing for S Club Seven and anyone else <laughs> with Seven. The movie Seven is a bit fucked.、Uh, yeah. What else? <laughs> yeah.、Uh, well, I'm pretty sure. How many members of Steps were there? Was there five? Okay, right. No, they're safe.、H、they're safe. <laughs> Claire, Faye, Lisa. Wow. And the other one. That's good knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I've written them into a screen. Poor guy, never、called. gets a mention. <laughs> poor guy. They were supposed to. They were basically like trying to be ABBA, but for the for the dance generation. Is that right? Steps. They're, they're fantastic.、Yeah. I think they're really cool. He's called Lee, by the way, and he's great.、Um, they <laughs> are Lee. How、uh, could we forget Lee? Of course, of course, it's Lee.、Uh, Steps are still touring. Well, they're obviously not right now, but they're around. They're cool legends, all of them. I will never hear a bad word said about steps. Who else? <laughs> We're struggling here. Tweet us if you can come up with more. Oh dear, this is like a terrible、oh、radio segment.、Um, <laughs> And also, you're you're producing another movie, Giles, aren't you? In a few weeks. Repeat. I am Robbie. It's called Repeat. Richard Miller is co-directing with Grant Archer, myself, and Lucinda Rose Tucker are producing, and we start filming in two weeks. So、um, do go support the Twitter page at Repeat the Movie. Go onto Twitter and do support and do follow. Super, super exciting. Yes, starts filming in two weeks. COVID regulations, COVID security, COVID everything. Protecting us from COVID, obviously, all over it. So yeah, that starts in two weeks.、Uh, the Dare is out in two weeks. But hey, busy time, right?、Mm, very exciting. Very exciting. So, as I said at the start of the show, this episode is sponsored by ScreenCraft. Now, listen, filmmakers out there, do you want your voice to be heard in Hollywood? But you're not sure where to start. Well, of course you do. Well, luckily for you, We Screenplay's Diverse Voices Screenwriting Competition is now accepting submissions. It is one of the most effective talent discovery screenwriting labs in the industry, and it strives to encourage stories from often underrepresented perspectives in Hollywood, including writers of color, women writers, writers with disabilities, writers over forty,、uh, writers in the LGBTQ plus community. And more. And the best part is that every single entrant to the competition will get a free page of written feedback on their script. So, screenwriters, this is for you because you're going to get a free page of written feedback back for you on your script. That's right, win or lose, your script will get honest, professional notes on your screenplay. And if you're one of the grand prize winners, you'll be offered. A flight to Los Angeles for a diverse voices four-day screenwriting lab. This competition is open for features, TV pilots, and shorts, and the regular deadline ends today, September the fifteenth. Yes, you heard me say that right. Today, Tuesday. But if you miss that deadline, or you're listening to this in the future, don't panic. The last and final deadline to enter the We Screenplay Diverse Voices Screenwriting Competition is October the fifteenth. <sighs> panic over. So get your submissions in and make your voice. Heard. Learn more at wescreenplay.com/forward/slash/diverse-voices. Thank you, Screencraft, for sponsoring this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. Well, we better get to the episode, right, Giles? We better had. Don't want to keep the fine audience waiting. No, no, they're not waiting. They love this bit. Absolutely. This is obviously their favourite bit. <laughs> so, with this episode, we jump right in talking about rock. Sarah's fantastic new feature, which is out this Friday. So, why don't we treat you to a little teaser of the film? Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy this little teaser, and enjoy generally. You'll smell. <laughs> I'm gonna be、yeah. the new Picasso. <laughs> These are your clients. Yes, you yeah, I'm gonna be a millionaire. How's your mum doing? Yeah, she's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, I'm not here right now, so if you'd like to leave a message. Did the right thing by calling us here. Let's come on, let's go. 
just for nothing. I think you should tell someone about your mom. It's just you and Emmanuel. And you wouldn't understand. What's the problem? Talk to me. I, I don't, don't need get you it. to worry for me. You're nothing such a beautiful world. You have to leave now. Get out. Get out. Nothing can be loved into something. There's got to be a way to do all this. You just can't keep going on by yourself. I've got five fun. I have 20. Yeah, I see the queen. The queen's shining. Hi. <laughs> Brooks, man. What are you working to Welcome to the future. Oi, where's your tickets? <laughs> Close your eyes. Think of everything that is happy. And stop thinking about all your worries. We're coming with you. Today. I'm actually sick of time. How are you guys wanting chicken? Hi. Hi, Sarah. Nice Hi. to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. How are you? I'm all right. How's the buzz been from the film then, from your side? You had the screen the other night and you did a, an online yeah. talk as well. How's it going? Yeah, we've been doing well. It's all been you know, going on for months because we started um, last year before lockdown. You know, we went to the Toronto and London mm. Film Festival and then prepared for an April release. So it's been kind of you know, long time coming so uh-huh. we're all like excited that finally now we're going to get to screen in cinemas september the 18th but it's so exciting it's such a great film it's so well made so interesting you sort of following the, the lives of these people obviously we'll get into it in detail in a bit but i found it fascinating i really thought it was brilliant filmmaking clever and you just had an amazing cast as well which must have just for you being like oh okay yeah we're, we're all right yeah. that's always the worry isn't it it's always the worry yeah you know as a filmmaker but this was a kind of unusual process because it was really a collaborative project so I was working with this team of young people and you know creatives other creatives and we were really really holding each other's hands and making it together rather than the normal hierarchical way you make a film right oh okay that's interesting is yeah. that because of the, the sort of what's happened before for you and the fact that you've done really well with your films? Was it a case of, no, look, here in this case, you can build it your way? Yeah, I mean, it was partly um, that, you know, it was a film about young people and I'm pretty far from that now. And it felt exciting to build a film with the young people rather than the other way around, us build the idea and then find the young people. So right from the outset, we got together with the creative team, you know, Teresa Rococo and Claire Wilson were the co-writers. And then there were various other key people. I mean, Faye Ward, the producer I've worked with before, and and um, Amina Ayab Allen, the other producer, and Anu Henrique, who was an associate director who was by my side the whole time. And as a team, then with, with the casting team, um, we found the young cast before we set about the script writing process, or well, before the writers wrote the script. So, wow. but it was all kind of, you know, an organic um, process that evolved because Teresa Rococo, um, who the story has got a story by credit, she'd come up with this story before, she'd been working on it before. And when she met the young people and when she was brainstorming ideas for the script, she felt like this story that she'd already conceived would really fit. So she brought it to the group and that became the narrative arc. But then they all fed into it and it evolved from there. Amazing. And the casting obviously was critical. Like Lucy Pardy, uh, you know, who's cast American Honey and um, and Fish Tank mm. was behind the casting. How did you find the kids in the first place? Was it the casting director just put them all together? Yeah, so the casting director, Lucy, and she had an associate called Jessica Stryker. They went into schools. I went into schools. The writers went into schools. Other members of the creative team also did. And, work, and um, youth clubs, which are kind of, thin on the ground these days but we found Mm -hmm. some fantastic ones and dance classes and and we sat in the back of them and we talked to the kids and and Lucy and Jessica did the legwork here and invited a huge amount of um, kids to uh, open sessions and then to workshops and we did improvisations and chats and and gradually the kind of group got whittled down to the the people you see on screen the young women you see on screen who were really the ones who you know, contributed and turned up weak. I mean, there were lots of fantastic young people, but but the ones you see on screen formed a natural friendship and a bond and it just became clear it was going to be about them. That's fascinating. I really like that. I think it's a really interesting way to work. I mean, a lot of the time, as you know, you're, you're, the script will be there and then you go find the guest yeah. um, or the money or the, you know, or everything. This way you're going, no, no, we're going to do it organically. Now, did you know from the beginning then that... Y- 
you were going to do this as in kind of you, money was already saying VFI, whoever you're the people behind it was saying, yeah, no problem. We'll give you this kind of seed money or development money to go and find something was, did they need certain hoops you had to jump through? Did they, you know, cause there's no big names in the movie, if you like, you know, it was just amazing actors. Was there any kind of kickback from that at any stage? Well, so we initially went to film four, um, mm. who we had a bit of a relationship with from previous films, and they were very supportive of the idea, and then the BFI as well. But, you know, they they understandably took a lot of convincing, because, as you say, we didn't have um, cast who'd, who'd acted before. We didn't, when we initially set out on the process of casting, we hadn't got a script. So, um, but they went on that journey with us um, bit by bit and we kept on feeding back and having endless conversations and showing them footage from the workshops and uh, talking to them about the evolution. Um, But, you know, they were really, they were really supportive and there was a whole group of execs there who I'm really grateful to. I mean, I think we all are um, who work with us on it and and credit to the producers for, for, for raising that money for us, you know, and the Wellcome Trust came in too, because they were doing a focus on um, mental health and teenagers. And so, you know, that kind of fed into it as well. That's so fascinating. I really like that. I really like that way of working. I think it's because then you could create something around these, the strengths of the actors, the young kids and the strength of the story. And what is this story about? What we always love to do on this podcast is sort of find out your journey, why you started and to help other filmmakers who are listening. So we'll come back to rocks in a bit. So let's jump back, if you don't mind, Sarah, and talk about your journey into filmmaking. Because from what I can gather, you started at the BBC doing documentaries, and then you went to the National Film School. So you'd already started in this world of filmmaking, and then you went back to film school. Do you want to tell us your reasons why? What was what happened there? Well, I, I loved making documentaries. I kind of always been a people watcher, always fascinated with uh, you know political issues, actually, and sort of wanted to make documentaries with this idealistic world that I could change the world, and you know started working on them mm-hmm. and had a really really great time and traveled the world and, and learned a lot. It was kind of a school in a way. But um, I also was having ideas for fiction films and really excited about um, cinema and the idea of exploring fiction, but felt very nervous about throwing my hat into the ring and saying that's what I wanted to do. But the National Film School was a place that I'd kind of latched on to as the, as the you know, the sort of mecca of, of that. And so I then applied and I actually almost applied to do documentary thinking, oh, I'll become more of a sort of focused documentary maker and explore my own subjects there. But then I, I switched it and did drama and it was kind of the best decision because the minute I got there and started making short films and met, you know, other peer group people who could work with me on the films, I realised it was what I really wanted to do and I just loved it. But you can definitely see that in your work with the sort of um, the sort of observational quality of uh, you know the sort of people watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Rocks was great for that because there was kind of freedom that so we worked in this very collaborative way, and so that actually was oddly more akin to documentary in some ways because there was such yeah. freedom on set, and mm. we were shooting everything, and we were adapting, and and sort of light on our feet, and you know working around what was happening. The kids were slightly improvisational as well. I know we've jumped back to rocks again, but that's all cool. And I, I really like that they, it, it kind of could go anywhere. You know, it felt any minute it was quite dangerous, but fun and playful. And you felt that the camera could just find someone who's doing something different. You know, the whole food fight, all that kind of stuff was just so refreshing and interesting. You know, that was that always a choice to sort of just find things within your direction? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I worked with a, a camera woman called Helene Louvart um, and Rachel Clark as a kind of duo. I mean, Helene was the DOP and Rachel was working with her on another camera all all times. They were turn, mm-hmm. dancing around the cast and, and, and we just made this decision to do it on two cameras right from the beginning because that allowed us to not have to do I endless see. takes and yeah. to... And actually, the truth was, every take was different. And Maya Maffioli, the editor, dealt with 150 <laughs> hours of footage, and they were never in the same positions. And, you know, they were. And then we also had iPhone footage to weave into it as well. Of course. And um, everybody was radio mics. You know, often in the bigger scenes, eight to ten radio mics, and anybody could speak at any time, and they were all overlapping. And so it was. You know, it wasn't like your normal, more controlled shoot. It didn't have any of those restrictions. So it's a really kind of benefiting from the modern advances of digital filmmaking, but also giving you that freedom 
um, to sort of almost forget about those tools and, you know, forget about the fact everyone's mic'd up and um, there's several cameras going, but just sort of have all of that stuff if you need it. But it's it's uh, ultimately, yeah, to give the actors the freedom to do what exactly. they want. We couldn't have done it without digital cameras. I mean, it would have cost mm. a complete fortune <laughs> we, yeah. we rolled from the beginning of the day to the end of the day so that was very releasing yeah I can imagine how did you work that then with with the DP to sort of because you've got to light both sides in a way you've almost got to make sure you're not in each other's coverage was that just a case of just kind of play especially if like you say the actors were doing different things every time or slightly different yeah, I mean, I definitely, we were all kind of hiding underneath tables and in cupboards um, more than, <laughs> you know, usual. And, and, and we, you know, I had a handheld monitor and was right in there lying under, you know, the sofa sometimes, I, you know, all sorts of weird positions and, mm. and dodging each other. There was a lot of falling over each other. It was quite complicated. But um, yeah, so we, and, and you know, took lots of talking through takes like, oh, look over there. What are you doing? And asking questions to the the actors yeah. mid-take to sort of prompt other ideas and different moves mm. and stuff. And then going back to the creative team, you know, the writers were there a lot and Anu Henrique, this associate and the producers, and, and, and chatting through what worked, what didn't, what should we try next, what was hitting the story beats, what wasn't, how could we adjust it? And the, and the cast themselves feeding back quite brutally often, you know, I've told this story before, but Kosar Ali, who plays Samaya, the best friend, you know, came up to me one day and went, the way this, this scene is working is it's just dead, Sarah, it's dead, you know. <laughs> so we started again and reshot it in a whole different way to give it more life. And, you know, she was right. So they all felt very very free very to part of it good. that's amazing yeah i like yeah. that i do you know i love that collaboration with the actors and they know they can feel it not only in their own performance but in just everything else that's around and that's going on and if if there's something not right they'll, they can't and it's great that you gave them the confidence and the freedom to do that and say it's okay it's okay to to ask these questions and feel it's not right wow you, yeah amazing because a lot of people wouldn't have done that i said no no i need you to get this right so what a wonderful well, environment but they also knew they were more like little sisters to us big sisters by then you know because mm. we'd all worked mm. as this team through these workshops so I think they, they felt they really knew us and also the, the the camera crew themselves or the team behind the camera were young and mostly female and some of them were mm. from the same communities as the girls so it wasn't like a sort of scary environment where you know so I think they felt quite at home in the world of it. I bet. And you mentioned there about the female sort of element and you've mentioned a few times about having uh, female uh, camera people around you as well or female DOP. In this sense, is that something that you felt from the beginning of wanting to become a filmmaker was having that voice, having the female voice for one, but also making sure there was enough crew members that were around that were female as well? Well, on this film, Rocks, we had more than ever than I've ever had before and really deliberately uh did you know went out to work with women because it made such sense for the story and we felt like these first time young actors or women you know we wanted them to be surrounded by people who could contribute to the story and so it made sense I mean I've worked with a lot of very good men in the past um and I'm sure I will again you know and so but I have always been drawn to stories around women I mean it sort of just comes very naturally to be honest the sort of stories that I haven't seen or the stories of people who's you know like the first film Brick Lane which uh, you know was about community I, I was fascinated by and hadn't seen films around them and and so it's it's just sort of it's been a, a really what I've been drawn to. It must be in my DNA. It hasn't always been a very conscious decision. Do you have any female directors or female inspirations that, that for you would help and that also some other young filmmakers out there might go, oh, I'll look at them? Well, definitely. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, I didn't come from a very filmy environment and I, I, in my teens, I was mainly seeing sort of big American Hollywood. I mean, I was seeing all the Tom Cruise films and I was, you know, I didn't, don't think I saw a single art house film until I got into my twenties. And, mm. um, and I also didn't, I didn't realize there was the role of director. I just didn't think about it. And it was when I started seeing um, British films that were more sort of authored and had a vision, you know, and, and it began with 
male directors like I saw, you know, Mike Lee's work and Terence Davies and Stephen Frears, mm. Ken Loach. And then I discovered that there were women, you know, there, I saw some Jane Campion's work mm. and Mira Nair and, you know, Sally Potter. And, and, and so that was hugely exciting. I thought, God, you know, women can do this. And it was that case of you have to see it to be it. You know, I just didn't know it was possible. But then I actually genuinely can say that some of my favourite films just do happen to be directed by women. And, and, you know, there are some great British women directors at the moment. I mean, there's, you know, there's Lynn Ramsey, who was a couple of years above me at film school. There's Andrea Arnold. There's Chloe Bernard. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's Carol Morley. There's there's Amara Sante. There's some fantastic women around here, um, as well as some amazing, inspiring European uh, female filmmakers. France seems to have a good batch and America's mm-hmm. got lots. So, um, and I always follow their work avidly and, and just got sort of excited every time there's a new film out by a woman. That's so great. Which again, you know, the all female led your movies so far, pretty much as far as I yeah. can tell. You, it was a TV movie. I mean, it's called This Little Life. Yes. Though it yeah. seems like a feature film to me because the cast is incredible. You had in there, yeah. but do you do you include it as like part of your feature film filmography if you like I do actually but it's hard because it's not very available to see because it was sort of pre uh DVDs and I, so mm. it's hard to access which is the only reason I end up talking about it less but for me it was a real baptism by fire that I'd come out of film school I'd made I think nine shorts in total and mm. the BBC um were making that project and it was there was a lot of freedom as a filmmaker it's a Dennis Potter award and it was written by a brilliant woman called Rosemary Kay and it was based on her experience of losing a baby and she'd written a book first and then she adapted it into a screenplay um, mm-hmm. with the help of this wonderful script editor Howard Schumann and they they wove it into this screenplay and then you know there I was directing my first ever full-length film Mm. And it was a six week shoot in Manchester. And, and I literally had never done anything beyond five days or six days. So it was a yeah, big sort of step. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I learned a lot. And, I, and Peter Mullen was in it and David Morrissey and Kate Ashfield. So yeah. it was great. It was a great team. And, um, and really, really, I learned a lot. I look back and think, oh, my goodness, I knew so little before I did that. <laughs> but you were, you were BAFTA nominated. You, you won a BAFTA for this one? I did, which, yeah, for that one, which was, I yeah. love it. I just, you like, oh, the one we don't talk about. I just won a BAFTA <laughs> for it. It's great. It's great. But let's, uh, but what? Long time ago, re- though. <laughs> yeah, sure. Do you, remember, do you remember your first day on set? Can you remember the first thing you shot? I so remember because I was talking to David Morrissey about what he was going to do in the scene. And then the AD, the first AD, went quiet on set. And I went, oops, we better be quiet. And he went, no, he's creating quiet, Sarah, so you can talk to me. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that was, yeah. So, But we didn't, you know, I was working with this DP who I married at that point, David Katz-Nelson. And, okay. um, and it was both of our first films in a professional environment. So we were both learning on the job. So... Um, you know, it was it was a, it was a little bit scary, and then I remember the lights suddenly went out at the end of the day, and they said, um, "Well, the day's over." And I was like, "Oh, we can't just carry on," you know, because short films, you know, you go on till three in the morning, yeah, and your mates, and give them a beer, and then they'll carry on. But no, it wasn't <laughs> like that. So yeah, that's great. How did it come about in the first place? Obviously, you made all these shorts, you're doing really well, but still, it's a massive step up to be making a movie with Peter Mulan, you know, David Morrissey. It's it's a big deal, okay, yeah. Ashfield. So yeah, how how did it come about? So I came out of um, this three years of film school, and I was thirty by then, and you know, I'd, I'd done the documentaries before. I'd done a year in Edinburgh making shorts. I'd sent them to lots of festivals, and and my graduation film from the National Film and Television School, which was a film called Losing Touch went to lots mm. of international festivals and it went to Telluride which was a great experience and, and other festivals all you know in London and stuff and on the basis of that I got picked up by a an agent uh in London Casarotto a yes. woman called Jodie Shields and 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 that I hadn't realized that what how important vital that is because you know they really they're your friend um and also they can they have access to you know people to meet and so suddenly I was having meetings with people like the BBC and and Channel 4 about projects but then I just got lucky because this um a director dropped off um the the film this little life and so suddenly they had a vacancy I mean there wasn't a sort of full script yet it was early days but and so they just had a meeting with me so they came to me the BBC which was you know delightful brilliant and I just snapped up that opportunity which could have not come my way I mean I was very 
much taking the approach that I had to go for everything. I mean, I was applying to every competition. I was going to every meeting, you know, getting lots of no's at that mm-hmm. point. I mean, it definitely wasn't easy. But um, And then, you know, I spent another kind of year and a half developing it with the writer and trying to get everything in place and trying to find the cast. And so, you know, it was a, it was a long process, but it was a real opportunity. Uh, totally. What did you, can you, looking back now, what could you tell your younger self um, that that you might sort of advise to your younger self now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's always scary going back because you think, God, if I'd known how hard it was, maybe I wouldn't have you know, gone for that. I mean, I, you know, I'm glad I did, I've done everything I've done uh, and it's always been worth it in the end, but you have to go in, it's a bit like having children, you have to go in sort of thinking it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> uh, because, you you know, if you really knew everything you were going to have to do, um, but it's always a ride and there's lots of ups and downs, but, you know, it is worth it. I mean, I think I've always been someone who's worked very hard and never tried to never leave any stone unturned and explore everything. Maybe sometimes overworked and put myself through the mill a bit too much, you know. But um, but I do think on the whole, you do have to work pretty hard, actually, in directing. It is you just, really do. Yeah, yeah, you do, don't you? It's, I mean, you know yeah. about it, but it's hard yeah. work, isn't it? So many questions, so <laughs> yeah. many answers you need to, to get right. <laughs> and then yeah. it's just like, oh my gosh. That's why prep work is so important, right? So important, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How much do you do? Would you, you know, especially back then, has it changed from now? Is it storyboards now? It, what what's, what? Obviously, on, on rocks, it's probably very difficult to do any storyboards at all. But how has it changed your process, your development as a director? Do you think? Yeah. So I mean, it sort of changes. It's caters to each project, I think. So you know, I may uh, each project has been so different and required such different prep. And I'm very into doing research. So I know a lot about the subject. I know a lot about the world. Um, you know I sort of steep myself in that um and then I also do like to do a lot of looking at sort of visual ideas you know I get excited by looking at photography excited by looking at paintings uh, Mm -hmm. uh, taking images think I do do little thumbnail sketches quite often just to get Mm -hmm. myself inside a scene um I have officially sort of formally storyboarded uh certain sequences like on this little life there was stuff around a baby and we needed to build an animatronic little baby and so that was very particular and we had to storyboard some of those sequences on suffragette there were some action sequences which we storyboarded um with a great storyboard artist so I've I've sort of done different ways of um for each project on rocks it was more a case with Helen Levar of talking through the emotions of the scene. And then she does this process, which actually was really helpful of just really talking about where they might be and where the camera might be. I mean, obviously you change it a lot, but it sort of focuses your mind on what the essence of the scene is. Even if you let it go, when you get there, you've mm-hmm. got something and you've at least focused on each scene before, you know, so that took ages of sitting in rooms, talking through each scene from that mm-hmm. point of view, which I did find useful. Yes. That's great. Yeah, really good. I, I, it's so fascinating, isn't it? Inspiration can come from anywhere, can't it? And I know so um, Lynn Ramsey, when she was making uh, You Were Never Really Here, she was looking at this these kind of obscure uh, French phot- you know, photographs from the 1960s of crime scenes and things like that, these like very blurry oh, ba- black and white um, stuff. So I think, yeah, it, it could just be, as you say, it could be anything like an image or a... Uh, any sort of piece of art or something like that that then sparks your thought process and so mm, much and she's, she's such a visual director i love i mm. love the way she kind of constructs images i just think it's beautiful on mm. it reminds me of on suffragette the um designer alice normington found this image of a flower and it was a kind of faded flower and it had uh it was sort of dying at the edges so it had some reds and purples and so this and it looked a bit the color of bruises and for some that became our color palette because these women were so beaten up and they were bruised that that sort of slightly faded color palette became our color palette for the film which was great yeah absolutely and the color in suffragette is is amazing that sort of faded there's so many kind of great sort of gray tones like in the washroom and on the streets and stuff and yeah that that purple um obviously which is so important to the uh the yeah to the movie film yeah yeah yeah. that uh, yeah so that definitely came across really well i thought yeah that was sort of super 16 and edu grau being very influenced by Saul Mm. lita and (laughs) you know so yeah but but it also felt right for the the period and and the costume designer jane was sourcing clothes for suffragette that were from 
that were real stock that women would have worn then and they were all these tiny little women so they were you know they were the actual clothes that those women wore and there oh, was wow. something about that that was really great you know mm. yeah it makes a huge difference doesn't mm. it? it so so going off the back of this little life it, it, BAFTA comes your way did that open a lot of doors for you because you know, um, Bricks was your next film. So, Brick Lane, um, yeah, yeah. Brick Lane. Yeah, yeah. Rocks, Lane, rocks so. I know. <laughs> Lots of people yeah. have made them. <laughs> yeah, Brick Lane with, with that. I mean, what was it an easy transition? Was there a lot of other things floating around at that point? Because there's a lot of filmmakers who listen to this who have made a movie or are about to, and they want to know what happens next. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's that step? How do you actually get the next movie going? What was it like for you? I mean, I'm sure you know about this as well as I do, but the, the, the second film, there's always sort of, it can be scary. And I, and apparently, statistically, a lot of women don't go on to make the second film. 100%. Um, yeah, I think it was 77% didn't go on to make another film. It might even be higher. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. What, men women or just general people? Women. I think women was around really? that. Men was like 80. Men was 83. It was higher because there was more men. Oh, I see there were more men, yeah. But the likelihood is a man would go on to make a second movie rather than a woman. Uh, That just seemed to be the way. But men were making more films than women. But yeah, yeah, the the likelihood of anyone making a second film is so small. It's really hard. It's almost like, yeah, you you make one because everyone gives you a chance in the second one. They go, well, I'm not sure now. Everyone wants bigger names. I think you become very sort of self-conscious, you know, because also, I mean, the making the first film, you know, you're at festivals, seeing whether people are queuing for it or not, seeing reviews, suddenly mm. you lose that innocence, don't you? And you also know what how what it's about and how hard it is. And and in some ways the industry, you know, can be excited about your second film, but there always there's always a way a sort of element of gambling on the first film. It's like, ooh, excited. But um yeah, mm. no, there were there were things floating around. I um after this little life, I went and had a baby. <laughs> so that slowed me down That was a bit. your next film, your next project. That was my next project, yeah. Although it didn't sort of stop after four months, you know, it carried on. Um, <laughs> she's still around. And uh, so, yeah, so that was, uh, that took a while. And then I explored some ideas that sort of, I circled various things as you do. And you realise, you know, as you direct over the years that quite a lot of the stuff you develop for one reason or another doesn't get made, you know, sometimes mm. because it's just not right or whatever. Um, and so then, and then Brick Lane actually came along. Um, it, I hadn't, I'd read the book and loved it at the time where everybody was Monica Alley's best-selling book at that point and everybody was on the tube reading it and then um, Tessa Ross who was just brilliant head of film four at that time or Mm -hmm. for a long time um, had the script of it and Alison Owen had the was the production company with Faye Ward and and she they came to me and I read it and it was seemed like a daunting terrifying prospect but again I was really excited by it um so I I I joined up with them and then you know again Abby Morgan joined and and wrote a draft wrote the script and then they all evolved from there so so yeah again it was a whole nother journey of learning Yes. And was that you pushing as well? Because I know for me as a filmmaker and Robbie as well, is I'm always finding my own work. It's very rare people come to me. It's me pushing or finding a project and me taking it to a producer or finding yeah. cast. Or, is, was it the same for you as well? Is it always, was it always like that? Yeah. I mean, it, it sort of depends because sometimes people come to me and sometimes I go to them and, you know, there's a, but, but I'm definitely doing a lot of tap dancing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, you know, to sort of say, yeah, I love this. I would love to do it. This is the way I could do it. This is my pitch. This is the images. These are the cast, you know? Um, so yes, there is a lot of hustle. There's a lot of hustle. There's a lot of hustle. Okay, so Brick Lane is about to to go ahead. Do you do you approach it in a different way as a filmmaker now? And like you say, it's your second film. It's a little bit frightening because now there's expectation. You're a BAFTA winner. How, what? How did you approach it differently? So again, it was because it had such different requirements. So, uh, you know, I steeped myself in East London and the world of the Bangladeshi community. Again, there was an associate, a couple of associate, brilliant associate directors on that, one who, Sangeeta Datta and one Rahul Amin, who worked um, who knew those communities? One, mm-hmm. um, and then we also went to India and met lots of cast and Bangladesh and met lots of potential cast because it felt like, you know, really it would work to bring someone over here because it was about someone coming over here and and that was exciting. And so mm. Tanisha Chastity and Satish Kushak, who played the couple in the centre of it, both came from India, um, and 
although Tanisha had a sort of connection with Bangladesh. So it was that was exciting. We brought them over and Robbie Ryan shot it, who's just like a incredible DP, yeah, as Robbie we all know. Right. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's been mentioned on this podcast a few times. I bet, I know. I know. He just goes from strength to strength. Oh, but he's always great, actually. I don't know that he goes, I think he's always been strong, but he's just yeah, doing so much. The favourite was his, from what, from those who don't know who he is, is his sort of massive one recently, American Honey. You know, he's he's, he's yeah. one of those DPs. He's, he's yeah. great. He's great. You know, that was exciting. And then we built a set, which I hadn't done before. I'd never mm-hmm. um, worked on a proper set build. Um, the designer, Simon, built that in a studio. So I learned a lot about that you know so each Mm -hmm. film sort of teaches you you know yeah of course it does yeah yeah Yeah. and it's amazing to open your sort of eyes to that and allow it as well to sort of go okay what can what can I take from this and and move forward because that's what you've got to think isn't it as a filmmaker to move forward it's the next project you obviously care about the one you're doing but you're constantly thinking about how I can get better and how I can improve exactly because that's what you want do you like working with actors I I, I feel that you do <laughs> I really do and I I didn't know that till I started working with um professional actors you know uh and and I really enjoyed it and I you know they they bring so much and I sort of learned um through trial and error how to work well with actors you know I went to a lot of acting classes myself just to put even though I'm a rubbish actor but just to put myself in that position good uh and and realize what what's helpful and what's not helpful Mm. and um now I've had a really really good time and I you know I've worked with some great actors but then I also worked with this cast of um first time actors on this and that was a totally different process I mean couldn't have been more different but all but equally exciting and and creatively energizing and you know as I said they challenged me in different ways absolutely but by this point you know with rocks you're talking about there with the newcomers is the fact that you had worked with huge actors by that point you know huge (laughs) you know it's it's we'll come to that in a second but I think that therefore gives you some sort of confidence to go okay well if I can direct Meryl Streep in a way I can I can probably you see how I get on with these first time with kids but at least you can have that confidence to say well actually I've I have directed a a couple of Oscar winners um um, you've got that in your pocket you know you don't have to boast about it but at least you've got that to say I I I can handle this I think I'm all right I think I'm all right (laughs) so I've been wanting to do a film about the suffragettes for years and years because I'd sort of uh, realized that it was this you know unexplored well cinematically unexplored territory Mm. of these women who you know fought for the vote and it just hadn't been I mean we'd seen you know Mary Poppins, <laughs> we hadn't seen real <laughs> versions of it. for women, yeah. Yeah. For women. yeah. And there'd been this, actually, there'd been a 70s TV series, which was really impressive, called Shoulder to Shoulder, but that was a long time ago. And so, right. you know, it felt like a good time. And actually, there were a few really interesting people um, circling it too. So we were just lucky that we got there. And, and um, it took a long time. You know, Abby Morgan was on it. She waded through yeah such a lot of research and found the stories and we were really interested in focusing on the working women you know whose story is less even less known um, Mm -hmm. and how they were really the foot soldiers of the movement and sacrificed so much for it Um, and so we focused on them and then and then you know we were casting as you mentioned we were casting really established actors so that was a whole new I mean I'd worked with some great actors before but but just going for those those that level of cast for the whole new experience as well how did that work then so Fiona Weir was your casting director how did it from your side did was was it dependent on cast this time was it kind of a bit like well look you get a, a Meryl Streep type and then we can move forward or was it was it a mixture of kind of is it one of those that you kind of like well look we want to make this movie Let's piecemeal it together. Talk us through, if you Yeah, can. so Fiona is where, as you say, was casting director and she's like, you know, knows everybody and had great ideas. And it was partly about building an ensemble that would work. So it's so much about that, isn't it? You want to find your key, um, your your protagonist, which in this case was Kerry Mulligan playing Maud. And then we mm. wanted to build the group of women around her so that they felt like they formed a natural group and they were all very different kinds of women, which they were in the story. Um, it was kind of um, going to help make the movie uh, get made, definitely, <laughs> um, having having that level of cast. But we were also trying to get the right people for the right roles, you know, so mm. it was a kind of balancing act of of who feels right and also who has who will bring people to the cinema to watch this so but yeah. um we were we were very excited by the women we got you know Anne Reed Duff and Helena Bobbin Carter and Meryl Streep and Robin Agarai and yeah 
And was it a case where you sometimes had to try and contact them to almost uh, like giving the material as, as a good excuse for them to, to get on board? Like sort of, I don't know, finding that finding actors that would be interested because it's a film about the suffragette movement in a way. And that yeah. being a great reason to, to get people. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that, uh, you know, the actors were attracted by the material and this, you mm. know, Abby had written a really strong script and they were attracted by that. And, and the fact that it was an untold story and, the, yeah. you know, they were meaty roles for women and that was, yeah, that was exciting. And a lot of them, you know, really, really focused. I mean, Meryl Streep has done a lot to campaign for women over the years and, um, so it, you know, it all made sense for them. Yeah. And Helena Bonham Carter actually related really weirdly um, to uh, to Asquith, who was the nemesis wow. of the suffragettes. You know, so, <laughs> and uh, so her grandmother was Asquith's um, daughter. So she had this whole other history, which was which made so her she fascinating. Felt duty bound to <laughs> she did to yeah, kind yeah. of um, play yeah. the part. Yeah, that's fantastic, and it's it's really great how as you say, is for, it is the sort of foot soldiers of the movement almost. Um, and you only really see uh, Meryl Streep sort of in, you know, it, the fact that they're sort of seeing her in glimpses like a celebrity, but it's really, it's about the sort of growing feeling and, and sense of community in an underground movement that's really, um, really interesting. And then also obviously you, um, having to cast cast some men as well and people like Ben Whishaw who yeah. probably ha- you're having to find male actors who don't mind necessarily understanding that it's not their movie and they need to um you know take a back seat almost to mm. to let like yeah Jerry which the they're very shine. yeah which they're very unused to you know and there mm. was yeah um, so it turned out to be hard much harder to cast the men than the women but you know I I if I went back I would definitely you know Ben Whishaw and Brendan Gleeson were were right mm. for those roles and they and they're such kind of I mean they're such great actors to work with and, I mean all of the actors in it were so different and 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 you know there was a, I took a different approach with each of them because some of them like to talk a lot about what's going on in their scene and some of them like to try things out and do it very instinctively and so you know every everybody sort of was diff- very very different but they were all really experienced and really knew how to do it and could do it over and over again without any problems and you know so it was a kind of delight I was learning a lot from them Mm. how does it feel how does it feel then to have that bigger cast you know and sort of go okay I'm now directing Meryl Streep today you know what 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 did was there any that kind of nervousness I know I would be I'd be literally like okay (laughs) I think I've got this but at the same time I'm slightly wary um how is it for you, I think that all of us, including you know Carrie Mulligan and Helena and Anne Marie and Romola, we were all a bit starstruck by Meryl, uh, <laughs> and you know she came in, and as you say, we wanted her to have that effect a bit of the celebrity who they mm. didn't often have access to, because mm-hmm. um, she did sort of occupy that position, Emmeline Pankhurst. You know, she and she mm. had her picture on mugs, and so she was like a sort of you know celebrity <laughs> of the day. But um, so, yeah, when the first time we were, worked with her on set, there were lots of paparazzi around. So we couldn't do the rehearsal on the, in the environment. So we had to all cram into her trailer. So it's like sort of going on a camping holiday. Suddenly we were all sitting <laughs> on the floor rehearsing um, in her little trailer and she was eating scrambled eggs and we were having tea and chatting through. And so it all suddenly seemed very normal. But, you know, of course, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. But I like the fact that it became normal and then it wasn't after the first initial was then it fine to flow and work through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's a really wonderful, generous woman. And, you know, she's she 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 knows what she's doing. and She knows how to work with every every directors. Um, So you don't need to do very much. you know. Um, And then she was also great on the campaign trail because she was just very committed. You know, she's just a Mm. really committed woman. Yeah. And which is also important, isn't it? And and that's why I never really understand why directors fall out with their cast. Oh, they get so angry. You're like, you need them. I mean, this is, they'll just go, well, I'm not doing it then. I'm not doing your press for your terrible film or whatever it is that they they feel like they've got to promote now, you know, because if you fall out, it's the film could be a nightmare. So I've never really understood that. Um, but it's that fine balance, isn't it, with actors? Is they they're not your best friends, but you've just you might know them really well. But you're also leading the ship. How do you deal with that that hierarchy and 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 knowing it's 
you've got a lead, but at the same time, you've also got other huger leaders around you. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of always try to flatten the hierarchy a bit, actually, because I, I sort of feel uncomfortable about that position anyway. And I feel like you're, you are in a conversation with them. I mean, ultimately, you know, um, someone's got to make some decisions here and there, but I always try things out. I always try to uh, explore any ideas anybody has. Often they're better than anything I could have come up with. I always want to see what they've were offering first before doing any work with them on it and mm. and usually I do really you know genuinely feel a, fr- a sense of friendship with them and enjoy that sense of friendship I mean sometimes sort of a bit of creative tension here and there but but um you know I, I sort of find that works you want to create a kind of relaxed environment where you all can say what you feel and you can be around each other comfortably yes yeah, that sounds like you do it really well. How great. And and you work with a new DP on this one as well, right? For the On Suffragette. Yeah, on Suffragette. Yeah, uh, I mean, I did talk yeah. to Robbie about it. He was going off to shoot a Western at the time, so it couldn't have been more different. But but um, yeah, Edu Grau, who had right. just shot something with um, someone I knew in, in the UK, and they were talking about him. And okay, because he, he did a single man, didn't he? He did That's a single right. man, yes. yeah. Yes. And he was, uh, he was, you know, great for it. He's very sort of strong personality and had lots of really, really great ideas and works, you know, fast. And we had two cameras on that, which I hadn't done before. Um, okay. And that was that was helpful actually. Cause it, and we wanted to have this quite sort of documentary, uh, slightly documentary camera, and uh, not entirely, but you know, we were tracking, we were doing things, we were working with a big crew, but we still wanted to make it feel kind of like you were on the ground with those women, you were walking along those streets with those women, you weren't distanced, you weren't looking at them through a proscenium arch, you were kind of up mm. there, up close. Um, so we went for that feel the whole time. And then, you know, we had these sequences with um, special with visual effects, which again was a whole nother departure for me. He'd done a little bit of work around that, but I hadn't. And so we were working out together how to do those sequences and um, and with the team, you know, and, and the AD was vitally important as well. My goodness. You know, we mm. had one day when we were shooting in, a, we shut down a street in central London and we had, you know, period vehicles and a couple of hundred extras and, yeah. and the AD was ill. And I just thought, maybe we'll manage maybe you know we'll just muddle along nothing happened just nothing happened and then brilliantly another ad who we knew came in and he just stepped in and suddenly it all started like happening the bus turned up the cars went the people went round you know it was all okay but you realize how important that is absolutely so vital people do overlook that role and you get a good one and you you the film is on track and doing what it's supposed to do yeah i've heard horror stories of others where you just go yeah well nothing ever happened the first city wasn't doing what they're supposed to you're like oh my god because otherwise you've got to step up and you've got to do that and i'm i'm kind of used to doing it and i know first ladies have had to come and say giles let me do my job because because back when i was doing shorts and promos and brand media and long form sort of bank films or whatever i just you do whatever to get by um is i did everything i was always first aid in because you do right um but then you realize how important they are because you need your brain free to work on the actors or the scene or someone coming up saying we've just lost this or what color do you want and all that kind of stuff so you talked there about the big scenes how do you plan your shots for for a huge big you know you've got 100 extras and you've got all that how because it's one of those things for me i go well you could put the camera anywhere what what's your focus where where do you like to sort of go okay i'll start here and work out or you know how do we so those were storyboarded um all those every single kind of sequence that had a lot of people in it and a bit of action was storyboarded and that did focus our minds and was really helpful obviously you know even then a lot changes at the time mm-hmm. I remember so sort of we we shot this scene in the house of the parliament that was a riot scene and mm-hmm. you know that one we had three cameras and I remember thinking all I have to do is watch these three monitors and just check that you've got that moment that moment that moment have you got that moment have you, you know it's all about moments and as long as we've mm-hmm. got those moments we're okay and just keep getting those moments so that was the way um we did it with those kind of more chaotic scenes but yeah, some of the scenes were quite orchestrated. We were matching things that we were shooting. You know, we did some um, breaking of glass on Oxford on, on the central London street and we shot some of it on the, the street and then we shot some of it in a parking lot and we were, you know, matching footage. And so mm. we had to be quite precise in those moments and know what mm. we were doing, not making it up on the spot. 
Totally, yeah, because you, you just can't. With that big action stuff, anything action, you just can't no, make it up on the spot. I mean, yeah, we, we had to do some stuff for Arthur and Merlin where we had to make it up on the spot. And, you just, you know, you, you just you, you can get away with stuff, but not when it's big, not when there's a lot yeah, of stuff. It's very hard. It's, it's very really hard, difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing. And, and obviously, Suffragette was just, just like a huge film, you know, in terms of the feeling of it all, the buzz of it all, the, the press. It was everywhere. Everyone was talking about this film. How did that feel then for you you know now you're you, it's you know you're director of a, a huge movie with some massive movie stars was that what, what did that yeah feel like? that's exciting I mean I'm always someone who kind of has lots of kind of worries and you know focuses on things that could have been different and anything that didn't go well and so you know that's part of my nature um but we did also have lots of good experiences of 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 great audiences connecting with it and going around the world and seeing it in different environments and you know i i love the thing of when you go to um we've had this with with the rocks as well because we went to um me and the writers went to san sebastian and film festival and then you get a spanish person coming up to you and saying how they connect with the story and you think oh you know that's amazing that you make a film in one culture and it connects with another culture and Mm -hmm. people of different ages and different backgrounds so i think there's something very thrilling about that so it was it was great to get the the film out into the world and then you know there's lots of school discussion around it and so young people and I talked to a lot of young people about what it is to be a young woman growing up now which partly you know led to a conversation about shall we make a film about young people which was rocks that's great fantastic yeah. well let's let's finish it then talking about rocks I, i'll describe it basically it's a teenage girl who suddenly finds herself struggling to take care of herself and a younger brother after a mother disappears it's just the concept's great it's just really cool really nice idea and and fun of heart and soul like i say it's again another female story after suffragette and doing a bit of you know transparent was 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 did it come out of that was other things bubbling around at the time but you felt like this was the one you wanted to do yeah there were other things bubbling around but I had a teenage daughter I'd I was working with um Faye and we were talking about what to do next there were these really exciting writers like Teresa Rococo and Claire Wilson there were all these creative people out there and and I just thought it would be so, you know, we all thought actually it kind of evolved out of a group, to be honest. It would be great to do something around young people that felt really true to them, that gave, you know, that get put them centre stage that was made with them. That wasn't a kind of, I mean, I, I have to say I'm a huge fan of anything nostalgic looking back, you know, and I love the films like Ladybird. And, but, but we wanted mm-hmm. to make something that was about now, was about women growing up right this minute and how it was for them. And we couldn't, you know, we could only do that with them because how do we know? You know, we wanted to get inside the teenage gaze and, and find see the world through their eyes, which was mm. the biggest learning process, of course, of any of I've been on. <laughs> totally. Yeah, well, yeah. They, they just talk so differently to we do. And, I'm, and you know, there's certain things in, in there, like Snapchat's mentioned, but kids aren't, it's like Snapchat's almost moved on now. Know, it's, it's so fast. How, how quickly developed did you like, how did you keep up with that and the, the, the talk and the banter and how they related to each other yeah uh, yeah that must have been so fascinating well you know I was around a lot of I mean the, the, a lot of the crew were in their 20s so I was really like the mm. old woman on the set who was like what, <laughs> what did you say what are you talking about but I, I've now I now got my head around it you know I know a lot more about the way they operate yeah well, especially having a teenage daughter as yeah, well I suppose you could at least yeah, yeah relate in some way what does this word mean they were saying this today yeah. mom <laughs> yeah. yeah that's amazing and like I say, these cast, are they wanting to carry on doing acting, some of them, I imagine? Yeah, some of them are, actually. I mean, Bookie, who plays Rox, the lead, mm. is now at RADA Youth doing... Is um, she? Yeah, and she's oh, um, wanting to go on. And Kosar Ali, who plays her best friend, Samaya, mm-hmm. also wants to go on and a few of the others. Uh, Ruby um, Stokes, who plays Agnes, is already doing some work. So she was one of the few, like Shania, um, who who plays Roche, they both had some acting experience, but Shania's was mainly through the Nottingham t- TV workshop. So they all came from different paths, but the, most of them were new actors and um, and they do want to go on. But we wanted to create an environment where even if they didn't want to act, they could see camera people, they could see producers, they could be inspired to mm. think maybe they could work in different capacities in film. Totally. And see females doing that as well. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, That's inspiring, isn't it? To see them to go, oh, hang on. 
yeah. as a woman directing this, this is not the norm in that, in that sense of what people feel is the norm of filmmaking. And yeah, it's great that that curve is changing and it's wonderful that you made this film. Uh, Sharon D. Clark's in there as well, who was a fantastic West End performer. Oh. So it was a real joy to see her I go. Her. Yeah, I yeah. saw her in Death of the Salesman. She's just so yes. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So Sarah fantastic. Niles was another one, another adult mm-hmm. actor who's great. She plays the teacher in it. Yeah. So we had yeah. a few more experienced actors in there. <laughs> yeah. Because it was, was there a few other roles like there's a couple of the teacher roles and a couple of the um sort of neighbor roles type thing were they also sort of newcomers if you like a lot of the were teachers you... were real teachers oh is that what yeah. it was so oh one of the gosh. teachers was actually yeah. one of the teachers at um Kosar's school so yeah yes. and he was actually marking her work but we you know what in between takes <laughs> so yeah because you what you realize is that there's such a particular you know you train for life to become a teacher and mm. you know and also we were asking them to react in the moment it's very difficult for an actor to know what to say in the moment you know totally or what to do because where do you what, the right thing to say you're not allowed to do there's so many things, so many we things were kids, you wouldn't say yeah you can't say those things or touch kids the way you did not inappropriately but do you know what i mean yeah, you can't yeah, even yeah. put your Completely. arm on the shoulder no, you, can't. you have to sort of do this weird like holding your arms up like a v this way please yes, <laughs> you know what I mean? exactly. like, yeah. shuffle them along like yeah. some sort of wave machine um which is amazing you must have had so much fun i mean all your experience and stuff as well you must have pushed into this was there any difficulties was there any problems problems with shooting this kind of way two cameras yeah I mean it was it was chaotic and you know we were also working with child hours so there are lots of you know rightly there are lots of restrictions around children working so we were shooting short days um and having to which is kind of nice right that's nice yeah having to give them (laughs) breaks you know going I, I, lots of chaperones around because they should ah, be chaperoned yes. but you Shopping, know yes. and then we were like oh there's three chaperones in shot we have to make them extras you know? <laughs> <laughs> because they always have to have their eye on the kid they're looking after you know so they can't be God, yeah you're in away. an outfit again yeah put another one on change your top yeah you're back in it again <laughs> yeah. today you're a traffic warden yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah and we were shooting in london which is you know really exciting but also challenging it's noisy it's trafficy mm. and the girls were all really noisy you know we all had hoarse voices at the end of every day you know <laughs> it was like being a teacher really <laughs> I could imagine yeah because yeah, they're all talking all over each other and once kids do that they get louder and louder yeah. until yeah I mean whoever speaks the loudest sometimes wins in those situations yeah. were you shooting during school time or was it like summer holidays it was a summer holiday. so we sent them back to school in the summer holiday so we occupied a school in East London and we shot it right. over the six weeks of the summer yeah very right. hot summer actually yeah. yeah. Oh gosh, how amazing. It's a wonderful film. I, I love this movie. I think Rox is just so fresh and mm. interesting. Yeah. And delight. And then the, the young boy played Bucky's uh, oh, yeah. brother, Manuel. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I know everyone's probably going to talk about him so much, but wasn't he just a fresh, fine, so just delightful in his delivery and everything? So innocent and just. What's this too? Yeah. <laughs> I know he was so sweet. He was he was really a funny character. And um, Lucy Pardy and Jessica Straker found him, and he came to an audition actually with Anu, the associate director, because I couldn't be there. She did a little workshop with him where um, we would design this little exercise where he had to comfort his sister, and so he was comforting her for the purposes of the audition. And he said, "Let's try some guided meditation." You know, it was this little seven-year-old boy, and it just came out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> we put that in the film and it was That's cool. brilliant. yeah and then him and Bookie had this really sweet relationship where they were they'd uh, you know brother and sister and so they'd love each other and then they'd argue and then they'd love each other on and off set and I remember one day he didn't want to do something and she was like come on boy, you gotta do it and he went no I'm not gonna do it and she went who do you think you are Denzel bloody Washington <laughs> <laughs> just get on and do it so they had this little banter but he's adorable and he's so clever and imaginative that he's just got this kind of running commentary going on you know about what he's doing and he just gets yeah. it and, and again you mentioned right at the beginning that you would sometimes sort of feed them lines was that the same thing when you were sort of improvising those scenes so say that again but say it this way what was the best way to work with with sort of yeah so it? Teresa and Claire had written this kind of really wonderful rich script um, that really captured their their voices, their lives, their world, and had this very strong narrative arc that Teresa has sort of conceived as this love letter to her sister and to other black 
young girls who have to, as she says, and I think it's so true, you know, I mean, it's, it comes from her experience, have to be stronger than their years should require and, and have to be resilient. And, and they're, But they're also these sort of wells of joy and laughter and vulnerability. And, and so um, that was the kind of idea of it so they had written this script so we had all this material but then we wanted them to be able to sort of inhabit and live in the moment and be very present so we were we were deliberately saying to them you know let go of the uh you know don't don't sort of learn the lines or have fear Mm -hmm. you have to stick to anything just come into the scene and we'll just talk you through what's going on and we shot it all chronologically so they could sort of live it moment by moment and almost forget what you're going to do tomorrow don't don't think about what's in the scene coming up just think about what's now you know Mm -hmm. and we wanted them to almost not know what was coming but they did because they'd been part of workshopping and building but but um so it was a, around that. So that was the reason to throw lines in because it was to prompt them and, and to try things differently yeah, and to sort of surprise them at the moment or if things were slowing down to get it going again. So it was, you know, it was about sort of injecting energy into it. Great. I mean, wow, wonderful. And um, what, what, I suppose what kind of uh, lessons have you learned over the time? What kind of advice could you give to filmmakers out there, especially female filmmakers starting out or wanting to get into this business? What, what advice have you, do you feel that might be right? Yeah. Good. Well, I think ultimately if you really want to make films, you know, the sort of key trick, and I'm sure you both know this really well is to just keep going relentlessly, mm-hmm. keep going because, you know, and, and not take knockbacks personally, because you just will get a lot of knockbacks, yeah. you know, things will yeah. go wrong. Things, and, and one of the people I was at film school with, he said he had this kind of revelation that as a director, your job is to deal with problems. And the minute I saw it like that, it's not like, oh my God, there's a problem. It's like, yeah, there's a problem. And my job is to deal with the problem. <laughs> and so then it becomes sort of less in, sort of scary and so I think ultimately you know just keep going and see things through to the end you know the amount of time I sort of talk to people and I feel this myself you start working on a project you think oh I'm not sure this is going to work and is it right and you could so easily stop but you have to so I often announce things to people and say I'm doing this or we're doing this so you sort of have to see it through because you give yourselves mm. these sort of false deadlines and these you create expectations in order to motivate the project to carry on and just keep going and battle through it but and then be true to yourself sort of follow your instincts and listen to your inner voice and you know if something doesn't feel right listen to those niggles and, and sort of pursue them and you know in a slightly obsessive compulsive way go oh, something didn't feel right I better do something about it I can't just let that go mm-hmm. wow that's great fantastic advice, advice yeah. <laughs> so good um, Rox is out on the 18th of September yeah right yeah please and go because we'd love people to sit in the cinema the collective experience yeah. of you know yeah yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, please go see this movie. It's just a delight. It's one of these moments in time type movies, and you're gonna love it. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Well done. You know, brilliant filmmaking. Oh, well, thank so you cool. both. It was a collective ed- effort. That's all I can leave you with. Yeah, find the people <laughs> to work with. That's a key one, isn't it? Find the right. Yes, people it to work is. With. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. another huge bit of advice, isn't it? Find the right people. You get the right people around you and, you, yeah, yeah, everything goes up a notch, doesn't it? Yeah. That's great. Um, can people find you like I did on Twitter? Uh, where can people find you, Sarah Gardner? Yeah, on Twitter. I I'm, 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 I'm sort of <laughs> don't do much on Facebook. I dip into it occasionally, but I am on Twitter. Mm. Yes, yeah. and it's at Sarah Gavron, isn't it? It is. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty sure it is, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put we'll put a link in the show yeah, notes yeah, anyway. But that's yeah. how I found Sarah, and yeah, yeah. And she was very kind enough to come on and talk to us and you about her journey with some amazing advice. Thank you so much, Robbie. Where can people follow you? Just at Robbie McCain on Twitter. Uh, where can people follow you, Giles? Oh, well, thank you for asking, Robbie. <laughs> at Giles Alderson. Or you can follow the podcast on at Filmmakers Pod. Remember, we do have a Patreon now with some amazing uh, clips and stuff that isn't in the normal podcast. So do come and join us there. And remember, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. You can go make your indie film. You can do it. Uh, get out there and do it. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. We will see you next Tuesday, as always. Sarah Gavron, thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks, both of you. Cheers. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.